today, I want to share something from the book of Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 10. And I want to share something that will position us for Advent and for the holidays and maybe even position us for the women's event that Lana was talking about, about decluttering our hearts and properly positioning our lives as we end a year and as we move into a new year. I do need to pause a series we've been doing. We've spent a number of weeks in the book of Nehemiah together. We've been talking about rebuilding the real you, and we've used Nehemiah's story of rebuilding the gates and the walls around the city of Jerusalem as a metaphor for how the Holy Spirit rebuilds us. I'm going to have to take that series and kind of shuttle it over into long-term parking because we're going to come back to it in, in January. There's too much in that book for us to just move on from, but I am going to pause that today. I do just want to remind you, though, of the four essential steps that we've looked at. So we're going a different direction, but I just want to remind you before we say goodbye to Nehemiah for a while, the four essential steps that we've covered in the rebuilding process. Number one, anytime we need to rebuild, the very first step is to ask the best worst question ever. And the best worst question ever is, how are you really? It's the best question ever because we can only heal to the degree that we're actually honest. But it's the worst question ever because sometimes we ask it and we realize we're not doing quite as well as we thought we were. Number two, Nehemiah taught us to pray before we pray. When somebody encounters brokenness at some level, human nature is to immediately begin to pray. We run up against a brick wall, something happens, we start praying for God to fix it. Nehemiah told us to pray before we pray so that we know how to pray the prayers that God wants us to pray. And also, Nehemiah showed us that when we pray before we pray, we discern what our role is in the rebuilding process. And that's the essential third step, which is be willing to be part of the solution. When we approach brokenness, whether it's in a family, a relationship, a tribe, or our own soul, we all want God to lob a miracle from heaven into the middle of our story. And he will do that at times. But God's preferred means of bringing the miraculous into our lives is through people. God is looking for people to embody his work and his miraculous power um, the, the king of Persia sent a cavalry with Nehemiah, but Nehemiah had to lead the charge. And then number four, the fourth thing we've said, very simple, is just don't be afraid of the valley. So there's good stuff in the book of Nehemiah, and we'll come back to it in January. But I need to pause it there, and we'll move into a new thought today from Luke chapter 10. Um, by the way, are, are my feet distracting you? Do, do any of you have an issue with bare feet? No. Some people hate bare feet. And, and, and I'm kind of breaking one of my own personal church rules today because over the years, we've had several moments where worship team members would get all artistic and they would want to play their instrument or sing their song barefoot. And I would have to awkwardly go up to them and be like, put the flip-flops back on. We don't need to be eye-level with your gnarly feet as we're trying to worship and picture Jesus. And um, I, I know some people, they, they hate barefootedness. Do you hate it when you have to take your shoes off going into somebody's house? I, I don't know where the custom originated. Some people are fine with it, but some people are really self-conscious. 
I was so self-conscious as a kid. Remember when you're a child, everything makes you feel a little weird and insecure. My socks wouldn't always match. Or I don't take the shoes off because maybe there's a hole by one of the toes or my shoes are going to smell bad. And um, I, I wish we could hold on to the, the, the freedom we had when we were children. Look at this little picture. I love how uninhibited children are with feet. I, I could have I brought a picture of Malachi, my grandson, because he would suck on his toes constantly. No issue, no problem with feet. Grown-ups don't feel that free always. I have an adult relative who despises bare feet. He will wear his tennis shoes to the beach, and, and he's just uncomfortable. I think sometimes we're uncomfortable just because feet make us feel weird. Sometimes, though, people are uncomfortable because they don't like their feet. I've got these weird angles, or like my toes aren't all symmetrical, and I, I, I've never really had that problem. Uh, I'm not bragging. But I've always, and you don't need to fact check, but I've always felt like my feet are one of my better features. And so I, 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 I'm kind of happy with them. But my, my wife has great feet. And Jessica lived most of our marriage in stilettos. I think some of you may have learned, I guess if you live in heels too long, it takes a toll on your arches. So she can't wear actual high heels anymore. She wears wedges. She actually has tennis shoe wedges that she wears. And Madeline, our youngest, loved being barefoot. So when Jessica, Amber, Madeline, and I, when we, when we knew we were going to be leaving our church in Colorado in 2007, we actually prayed that God would move us to a place where Maddie could be barefoot year-round. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so I, I know we're not all super comfortable with bare feet, but I want to take us in the scriptures to three different moments in the life of Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. There are three encounters that we see with Mary that will help posture us and position us for this season and a new year. And in each of those encounters, it involved feet. So let's go to Luke chapter 10, and I'll spare you from foot envy here. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we get introduced to Mary with these familiar words. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and so she came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And the Lord answered, Martha, Martha. And I just love those, those words. I love the double use of her name. I bet, I bet the weight of the world just rolled off of her when he said, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Uh, the word worried means to be shaken back and forth by anxieties. If you give a dog a chew toy and it just shakes the toy back and forth, that's worry. That's actually an example that our English dictionaries give of the word worry, to worry a toy. 
to shake it back and forth. And then the word upset, he said, you are worried and upset. Upset refers to confusion or trouble. But it's an interesting word because our English word turbid comes from this Greek word. The Greek word here for, for upset is turbadzo. You can kind of hear the English word turbid in that. I know we don't use the word turbid every day in our languages, so it, it means to be murky or opaque. So if we came out of church and there was suddenly a dense, thick fog that we couldn't see through, that would be turbid. So when Jesus said that you're worried and upset, he was saying in this moment, Martha was being shaken back and forth by anxieties. And everywhere she looked, there was so much trouble and confusion, she could barely see the way forward. And in this moment, Jesus said to her, Martha, um, there are a lot of things weighing on you, but there are only a few things that really matter. In fact, in a moment like this, there's really only one thing. And your sister Mary has discovered it. Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. That's the first time we see Mary in Scripture. So the first time we see Mary, she's sitting at the Lord's feet. The second time we see her is at the tomb of her brother Lazarus in John chapter 11. You could turn to John 11, verse 17. Jesus was friends with Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And when Lazarus became sick, the sisters sent word to Jesus to get him to come heal their brother, his friend, but he didn't get there in time. So he showed up too late and Lazarus had already died. And in John eleven seventeen, 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews who had come to Martha and Mary were there to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. This is a remarkable statement from Martha. Remember, Martha and Mary and Lazarus were friends with Jesus. The Bible actually says they were friends. So Martha would no doubt have known that Jesus had already raised Jairus' daughter from the dead and the widow's son in the city of Nain from the dead. So Martha's talking to her Lord, but her friend, and she says, I know that you can do this. You've done it before. And so she's, she's putting it out there. We talk about vulnerability. She's putting it out there, and she's, she's wondering, is there any way that you could do this again? And the Lord said to her, your brother will rise again. But Martha's still a little nervous, and she said, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So I know you have done it. I know you will do it, but I hope you'll do it now. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The first time we see Mary in scripture, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. The second time we see Mary in scripture, she's falling at Jesus' feet. And in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And then Jesus does it again. He releases this unbelievable wave of power. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, it's amazing. And then there's one more story with Jesus and Mary in it. Do you remember the story? There's one more story. In fact, you'll see it probably on the exact same page. Drop down to chapter 12. In John chapter 12, verse 1, we see the third interaction. And it says, six days before the Passover, which means this was less than a week before Jesus was crucified. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, as usual, because that was her gift, and that was the way that she worshipped. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And if you had been one of those reclining at the table, would you have been able to resist the temptation to just reach over and poke Lazarus? Like, wouldn't you just want to touch the flesh and like just actually see, is this real? They're reclining at the table with Lazarus, but then verse 3 says, then Mary took a pint of pure nard. I know that's not a very attractive word, but it was an expensive perfume. And here it is. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So, wow, the first time we see Mary, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. The second time we see Mary, she's falling at Jesus' feet. And the third time we see Mary in Scripture, she's worshiping at his feet. Of course, some of the guys at the table grumbled, one of them being Judas Iscariot. And this is a waste. Why don't we sell this money and give it to the poor? But, but I love Jesus' rebuke. In verse 7, he says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And Matthew told the story too, and you'll probably remember that Matthew added the words, wherever this gospel gets preached in all the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So what is it about Jesus' feet? This wasn't the first time that somebody had interrupted a dinner party to fall at Jesus' feet. Did you remember it happened earlier in his ministry, a couple of years earlier? He's having dinner in the home of a Pharisee, and a, another woman barges in, falls at his feet, and cries so much that she literally washes his feet with her tears. That's a lot of tears. 
It's a lot of sobbing to get tears coursing down your cheek. She literally wets his feet, washes her feet with her tears, and then uses her hair to dry it. Um, there's something about the feet of Jesus. Um, this event with Mary anointing Jesus' feet happened less than a week before Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And I wonder when he washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper, if it made them think of this moment when Mary was washing Jesus' feet. You know, people are not comfortable with having their feet touched sometimes. We are going to do a foot washing at the end of the service today. (laughs) Peter was uncomfortable. He he pushed back. I I don't want my feet to be touched. You you don't need to do this. but what happens when you, when you wash somebody's feet? When you get close enough to actually hold somebody's foot in your hand, you see several things. Number one, you see where they've walked. You see where they've been. You know, we talk about stepping into someone's shoes or walking in their steps. Well, you've never been in my shoes before. When you get close enough to wash someone's feet, you see where they've been. Number two, you see what they've carried. You see where they limp. You see the way they favor certain parts of their foot because of the burden that they're carrying in their body. Uh, Number three, I think you also see some of the inner state of their being. You see the inside. It's interesting, reflexology is a, a, a school of massage based on the theory that the head and the hands and the feet are linked to all of the major organs in the body. So somebody who practices reflexology believes that based on massaging a certain part or pressure on a certain part of the head or the feet can actually heal something on the inside. So so, so there are medical practitioners that believe that ministry to the feet can reset something on the inside of you. Ephesians 6 connects feet with mission, doesn't it? It tells us to have our feet Um, prepared, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel, the good news of peace. Gosh, generally speaking, um, don't you love the people who bring you good news? If you hear footsteps on your door and it's somebody that brings good news, doesn't that just make you so happy? Um, Don't we love the people who love us or have our back or who love our children? Don't, Don't you love the people who loved your kids? Like Eric Nelson? who was English teacher for Amber. And I don't remember if you taught Maddie, but, um, but I, I know you were so special in Amber's life. Gosh, when, when you think of people like that, it, it makes you understand why Romans 10, 15 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus' feet are the most beautiful. Jesus went the farthest from heaven to earth, to come to you and me. And Jesus carried the heaviest burden, the the, the weight of the brokenness and the sins of the whole world on his shoulders. And then Isaiah 66.1 tells us that the earth is his footstool. Whenever you put something under your feet, that means you're in charge of it. If something is under your feet, that means you're in the dominant control position. If Jesus is able to kick back and prop up his feet on planet Earth, it means there's nothing facing you that's overwhelming to him. 
There's nothing facing you that he can't help you with. And this makes me think of just one more verse. In Romans chapter 16, verse 19, it says, Be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Scripture talks about trampling on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Satan is the name we use for the devil, for that evil force or presence in the world. It's more of a title than a name. It means, it means adversary. And according to, to Paul in this passage, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. How does that happen? Does, does Satan get put under your feet when you declare, I step on you, Satan? Is it, a, is it a certain tone when you pray? Is it, is it a spiritual warfare kind of a prayer? How do you get Satan under your feet? I, I think that one of the primary ways that Satan gets put under our feet is when we find our place at Jesus' feet. When we sit and learn. When we fall and cry out. When we worship extravagantly at Jesus' beautiful feet, our feet become beautiful too. Um, at our Better Man Camp that we just did, I, I mentioned to the guys that there are some people in life that you don't want to mess with. There are some people that if you knock them down, they just stay down. There are some people, if you knock them down, they just quit. In fact, I was listening to an interesting thought um, I was a humongous Evander Holyfield fan. He was one of my favorite athletes. And if you recall, Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson. And Tyson, if you remember, does anybody remember this way, way, way back in the olden days? <laughs> Mike Tyson was a 42 to 1 favorite over Buster Douglas. There's no way Douglas should have won. And Douglas knocked out the baddest man on the planet and won all three of the heavyweight belts in the process. And yet, in his very next fight, when he fought Evander Holyfield, he got crushed. He came in 15 pounds overweight, hadn't trained, and was immediately decimated by Holyfield, who became the undisputed champion. And these commentators were talking about this, and they said something interesting. They said, some people are structured for failure. There are some people, if you knock them down, they don't have the inner resolve to get back up again. And so it was an interesting conversation about why do some people rise to the challenge and other people just stay down for the count? That there are some people, if you knock them down, they're just down. But there are other people, if you knock them down, while they're crawling around on the canvas, they find the feet of Jesus. And if somebody finds the feet of Jesus when they get knocked down, they will never stay down in life. Because one of the things they find when they find the feet of Jesus is that Jesus was pierced in his feet. Isn't it interesting, thinking of reflexology, that it's the head and the hands and the feet that, that, that apparently have a connection to the inside. Jesus had a crown of thorns smashed into his head. Jesus was pierced in his hands and pierced in his feet. And when someone gets knocked down in life, and they find the pierced feet of Jesus. They find the antidote for their inner world. And they find the grit 
and the resolve and the determination to spend 25 years in Cuba without giving up. To stay in the hunt, in the fight, in the belief, in the relationship, in the the season, even when it's difficult. Um, I want to be somebody who finds the feet of Jesus um, when knocked down. Don't you? As we approach the holidays, as we approach life, as we approach the human condition and the human species and what it means to be human in this day and age, um, let's be like Mary. You know, if you've ever hurt your back, if you've ever sat too long at a desk, if you've ever overextended yourself working out or doing something, you know that posture is essential. Bad posture can ruin your world. Sometimes if you need to cure chronic pain, you've got to reset your posture. And, and Mary shows us what that posture looks like. Mary was a student sitting at his feet, listening to his word. See, that's what it means to be Christian. Christian is, is it's not just, I believe, a set of ideas. A Christian is an apprentice. An apprentice is someone who actually becomes like their teacher, So a true Christian doesn't just believe the right things. They're actually morphing into the personality and the nature and the passion of Jesus. She she sat at his feet listening to his word. I want to be like that. And if life pulls the rug out from under me, I want to find the feet of Jesus when I I hit. And wow, I want to be a worshiper who knows that the most powerful place in the world is worshiping at his feet. I'm not a great singer, and I'm not going to sing to you right now, but but I did sing on the worship team for just a few sessions when Jessica and I were newlyweds. Um, I I had to audition, which I hated, and I had to bring a song to the worship pastor, and I had to sing in front of several people, and and I I chose a song that says, um, I worship at your feet. I give my life to you. You are all I seek, my God, holy and true. And then it repeated. And then it said, I want to dwell in your most holy place where I can humbly seek your face. I lay my life at your altar amidst your holy blaze. I wanted Josiah, he has such a beautiful voice. I wanted him to sing that song and I could not find it. I have aged to the point where my life song is no longer in existence. I literally couldn't find it. So I asked them to to choose another song that that deals with this idea of being positioned and postured. And listen, before they sing, I just want to say something. Um, Sometimes we come to church, and and I cringe a little bit when, when it feels like church stuff seems disconnected from the real world. Um, sometimes if you've ever been in a meeting, like a religious meeting or, or a meeting where there's a pastor, that, that people will say something like, well, why don't you get us started with a little prayer so we can get on to the real business? And it's almost like just getting the prayer out of the way was fine, but now we've got to get down to what really matters. And church is the real world, that the kingdom of God, rather, is the real world. And and. The people who need to sit at Jesus' feet are school teachers trying to figure out how to connect with this tough group of kids. They're, they're, they're leaders who carry the burden of other people and are responsible for other people's salaries and, and 
and um, families. It's people who are raising children, trying to figure out how do I raise them in this world and navigate all of this. It's people who are going through challenging times. It's people who are teaching. It's, it, it, it's real people facing real things. The, the answer for what we need in life is found at the feet of Jesus. That Mary posture is not just something we think about a little bit in church once in a while. That's the place where downloads occur, where the lights come on, where I see the path that I wasn't able to see before, where I get that aha moment and I realize it, where, where it's kind of like a whole life chiropractic adjustment where things just, just get snapped into place. And now I see. So every person in the room, whether you're in high school or college or approaching your twilight years, we need this posture. We need to get in the presence of Jesus. Everything changes when we sit and fall and worship at his feet.